This is Pastor Bob Yandian. Today is number seven, the last in our series on the seven sayings Jesus made from the cross. On this one, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I dismiss my spirit. Why did he say that? Jesus faced spiritual death after that. If you want to find out what spiritual death is, join me today on the broadcast. And on this coming Sunday, you'll have a greater Easter than you've ever had before. Join me. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Today is the last day that I'm teaching on the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. Today is statement number seven, leading up to the day when Jesus Christ, or that moment when Jesus Christ died and then three days later was raised from the dead. This coming Sunday is going to be Easter. I want you to have a great Easter. And I think it's going to be even better for you now that you've had these seven sayings and what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so we've had six up until now. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. And let's take a look at this last saying that Jesus gave on the cross. Luke 23 and verse 46 says, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he gave up his spirit. Up until now, Jesus Christ had control. He controlled his life when he died. When, when they told him, don't you know we have the power to take your life? Jesus said, no one has the power to take up my life. I do. I lay it down when I want to. I pick it up when I want to on the cross. I commit my spirit to you. And even in this last saying, his will was, I commit my spirit, but it's into your keeping. Because the moment I physically die on this cross, I have no control. Father, it's going to be in your control. You promised me in the word you would raise me from the dead. You promised me I would be seated with you in heavenly places after this is over. My trust is in you and I commit the keeping of my spirit to you. Having said this, he gave up his spirit. He died here. This was the last words of Jesus, his last dying breath. And then he died after this again of his own will. And this particular verse, this particular segment was quoted in Psalm 31 and verse 5. David quoted it as a prophetic thing. Jesus died of his own will. Again, he said, I pick up my life. I lay it down when I want to. I commit my spirit. He gave up his spirit. And so, but now in this point, Jesus no longer had authority over his own life. It was now into the hands of the father. He died as a man. He died as a perfect man. He died as a man that never sinned, born outside the realm of sin because of the virgin birth, but never committed a sin in his life, even though he was tempted like Adam, where Adam failed, the last Adam did not fail, Jesus Christ, and where the first Adam failed, Jesus Christ now tells him, I listen, I came through every temptation, trial, and test, and in every one of them, I passed perfectly. And even on the cross dying, Jesus was 100% on God's test. Nobody ever formed a 100. Nobody even came close to that. Probably Paul was the closest who ever came to it that said in his life, he said, when it came to the law, I was perfect. What he simply meant was, I was as good as any man could ever get, probably better than any man, but I still was nowhere up to God's standard. God's standard is an absolute 100 on his test. How are you going to get into heaven? Say, well, I think I've done pretty good. I think I've got at least a 90 on God's test. Listen, a 99 is an F. A 99.999 is an F. It takes an absolute 100 to get into heaven. Then how do people get into heaven? If you accept Jesus, he gives you his score. You say, well, isn't that cheating? If I did that in college and got somebody else's score, that'd be called cheating. Well, it's called cheating on earth. In heaven, it's called grace. God just gives you Jesus if you ask for it. 
to, I mean, ask the president of the university, ask God, the father who runs this whole thing. I want to receive your son. He said, well, the moment you do, I'll give you his test score. You'll get a 100. And he's the only one. So everybody gets into heaven from the fact they accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So again, Jesus was given authority over his life, but at this time he turned it over to God, the father. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 tells us here, Jesus said, my father loves me because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. Notice this, I'm going to lay it down, but my father loves me. He'll take care of me in the meantime until the time when I am back again and alive physically in a resurrection body. Verse 18, no man takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. I receive this commandment from my father. So Jesus had authority to lay down his life, but did not have the power to give himself life. Once the life was given to him, then he could raise himself up and God the Father raised him up by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter one, verses 19 and 20 says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? I think this is so interesting. You know, in the word of God, uh, the, the power of God's demonstrated. David was laying down one day and, and in Psalm 8 was looking at the sky and wrote this set and said, when I look at the stars and all that you have created, what is man that you are mindful of him? And he went on to say, the stars are the works of your fingers. The universe out there is the worst of your fingers. Later on, we're told in the, in the Psalms and then quoted again in Hebrews 1.10, the earth declares his handiwork. When God created the universe, he used his fingers. Think about that. How much power do you have in your fingers? Well, not a lot, but simply saying it wasn't anything for God to make the universe. I mean, he just, you know, flung his fingers out there and Milky Ways and stars and galaxies and everything just came into being that moment. But it says the earth declares his handiwork. Well, this is where all of his plans were going to take place in the universe. So God took a little more time with the earth than he did with the universe. He took his hands, no longer the fingers, now the hands. You have more power in your hands than you do in your fingers. So it took more power for God to create the earth and to mold it, to shape it, to, to make everything right. It took seven days to bring all the life that we see around here and restore the earth back and make it beautiful and then put Adam to rule and reign here. I mean, that's what God did. And man has been here. This is where the great wrestling match of all eternity is, is between Satan's force and God's force occupies the earth and Satan's trying his best to keep it. But God says, no, the earth belongs to me. I like to think of it this way, is that, uh, that the earth right now is under the control of the devil, but he's got a lease on it. But there's going to come a time his lease will be up and God will not renew it. He's going to kick him off this place. And so again, uh, God will not renew that. And so Satan will be again cast off this planet. God will have control. And even the earth from then on, there's a plan for God. It, it's not Pluto. It's not Mars. It's not any other planet. This is where heaven's going to come and rest over. Jesus will rule personally from the city of Jerusalem and the temple for a thousand years. After that's over, the earth will be renovated and the, the every effect of the curse will be gone at that time. The earth will be renovated and heaven will come down and rest over the earth forever and forever. These two work together. Heaven and earth have always worked together. Uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. If any two shall agree on earth as touching anything, they shall ask. Prayer works here. This is the only place you can have your sins forgiven that you may know the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. That's how much God loves the earth. It took more power to create the earth. But stop and think about this. When Jesus Christ arose from the dead, it took the arm of God. Who has believed our report? 
in uh, chapter 53 of Isaiah, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord represents salvation. Do you have more strength in your fingers, your hands, or your arm? In your arm, we don't have finger wrestling matches, we have arm wrestling matches. Arms are something where we have a lot of strength in and it took his whole arm to raise up Jesus from the dead. What an incredible thing. Is that the greatest arm wrestling match in all of history took place when Jesus Christ arose from the dead because the arm of Satan met the arm of God, but the arm of God slapped down the arm of Satan once and for all, and Jesus Christ arose from the dead, conquered spoil, principalities and powers, made a show of satanic force throughout all the universe to where everyone could see it. And even Jesus talking to his disciples said, I saw Satan fall from lightning, from heaven as lightning. And then the great arm wrestling match was when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and Satan came against the power of God and God won once and for all. But the thing of it is, is even though Satan was sentenced at that time, he has not yet been jailed. In other words, the, the decision was made and the sentence was declared on him that you're going to suffer in hell forever and forever, but yet it has not been actually done yet. He hasn't gone to the cell. He's still waiting on that time. In the meantime, he still thinks he can outwit God. And for these 2,000 years since the work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, Satan's been trying his best to take over this planet. And all I can say is it's going to fail again because Jesus Christ will come from heaven and execute the plan and execute the sentence that was placed on him. 2,000 years ago when Jesus arose from the dead. And so again, what is the exceeding greatness of his power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This verse is saying what the arm of God is, is called the exceeding greatness of God's power. I think on that day, God took every inch of, every uh, ounce of energy he had, every bit of power he had, and raised Jesus Christ from the dead with all hell coming against him, demons, everything else trying to stop him. And Jesus Christ could be raised from the dead because he had no sins of his own. He died for our sins. After three days and three nights, there was no sins that was not covered except for rejection of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ arose from the dead that day. All hell tried to stop him, but he made a show of them openly. So again, uh, the exceeding greatness of God's power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, it's brought out so much in the word of God. The New Testament and the Old Testament confirm it, looking forward to that time. The power of God was used with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is where the power of God was exercised through. Romans chapter eight and verse 11. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us these exact same things, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead by his power. And listen, the power of Satan tried to keep him there, but the power of God raised him from the dead. It simply comes back to this. You know what? That power has been given to us. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You can cast out devils, come against the works of the enemy, see people get saved because now it's been entrusted into the hands of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. God's power has been given to me, just like it was to Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, don't you go anywhere. Go to the upper room and wait, for you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What happened when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus? We're told in Acts that when the power came on Jesus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, that he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed to the devil, for God was with him. So Jesus did not raise himself from the dead, but was given the choice as to when he would be raised from the dead. Then the Father raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the same with us. I do not have the power to raise myself up, but when I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I come back from the dead. 
just like Jesus Christ came back from the dead and I'm raised to newness of life. So it simply comes back to this and we'll be taking this up again more as the break comes to an end. What is death? We're not talking here about human physical death, although Jesus did physically die on the cross, but it wasn't his physical death and being raised from that physical death that saved us. No, it was the spiritual death that Jesus suffered at that time. His spirit was separated from God the Father and then put back into God's keeping. His spirit that was separated from God the Father on the cross is when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated from God as far as his spirit, and he had no spiritual life in him. Before that time, he was alive spiritually. But the moment he took your sins and my sins and then went to the uttermost for us, he even went into hell for us where we are supposed to go as unbelievers. He went there for us, and that's where God raised him from the dead. His spirit was separated from God. This is spiritual death. But then God the Father, after three days and three nights, raised him from the dead because Jesus had conquered your sins and mine and paid the price for it. Physical death is the parting of the spirit from the body. Spiritual death is the absence of God's life from our spirit. Unbelievers have this right now. Jesus faced this when he was forsaken by God the Father and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll continue from this point talking about the seventh saying from the cross as soon as the break is over. I'll see you right after the break. Jesus' final words, the last seven statements that he made before descending and ultimately ascending from earth into heaven, hold great significance for both the believer and for the world. In this six-part topical study, Pastor Bobby Indian closely examines and explains the seven statements Jesus made from the cross. Studying those statements carefully sheds light on their significance in the lives of believers today. Message titles include Father, forgive them. Today in paradise. Behold your son. My God, my God. I thirst. It is finished. And Father, into your hands. To order seven sayings from the cross, go to bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Pastors, ministers, I know many of you would like to have some evening classes. Maybe you don't have enough in the congregation to really have fellowships, home groups, things like that. But this is the most important. This is supplemental the Word of God. I have a curriculum series, 10 30-minute uh, lessons on video, as well as my book on end times that goes along with it, a teaching on the subject of probably one that pastors fear the most is end times. Don't understand it. With all the different viewpoints today, I come back to the basic of what the Word of God says. There is a rapture of the church coming, and seven years later after that, Jesus is coming back to establish his millennial kingdom on this earth. And so much is taught in the Word of God about the simplicity of what God is saying. Once you understand it, then it seems like confusion is gone. If you'd like to do this, you might have a time where you do it over a two-week period, five nights a week or spread it out into 10 weeks, whatever you would like to do. I know it'll be a great blessing to you. And on top of that, your congregation will come out smarter on the other end and you'll look good because you brought it into the church. See about having this series just for yourself. On the cross, Jesus died for us spiritually before he died for us physically. 
In other words, he was separated from the presence of God. When he was forsaken by God the Father, that's when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, up until that time, he didn't call him God, he called him Father. But the moment he was separated from God's presence and sin, he took on your sins and my sins. He didn't sin, he just took on your sins and my sins. He became sin for us by choice. The moment that happened, God couldn't look at him. The Father had to turn his back on him and that's why Jesus Christ cried out, my God, my God. That's the cry of a sinner. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew why God had forsaken him, but that moment it was so overwhelming to be separated from the presence of God for three days and three nights. We are all spiritually dead before salvation. Sinners face this throughout their life and into eternity when they die without accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. But we gain the life of God. We become spiritually alive the moment we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's because when we accept Jesus, we are identified with him. We're identified with him on the cross. We were crucified with him. We're identified with him in death. We died with him. We're identified with him in burial because we were buried with him. We also become one with him when we accept him. At the moment in that after three days, when he was quickened, we become quickened. The moment we believe in Jesus, our spirit is made alive. And then we rise with him. As Jesus was raised from the dead, we were risen with him. And then now we're even with him, seated with him in heavenly places. We're all spiritually dead again before salvation. But the moment we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're born again and his life comes to live in us. And we are forever from that moment on, we are joined with God and we're spiritually made alive. So Jesus again suffered as a sinner and as a sinner, he was not a sinner, but suffered as one. When he took our sins, he not only on the cross died spiritually as well as physically, he had to go to the place where we would go and he went to hell for three days and three nights. And so let, take a look with me. Now, this is very controversial. I mean, I have people come against me, ministers come against me saying Jesus did not go to hell. Until he was raised from the dead, he was classified as a sinner and even went to the uttermost for us. And the uttermost means if a sinner goes to hell as the uttermost, Jesus had to go to the uttermost to die for us as the uttermost. Matthew chapter 12 tells us in verse 38 through 41, here it says, certain scribes and Pharisees said, Master, we want to see a sign from you. They were tempting him. Trying, they were trying to say, go ahead, perform a miracle for us. We know you can do it. Jesus performed miracles where there was a need, but he didn't do it to put on a show. And so he answered, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Boy, Jesus called them exactly what they were, evil and adulterous. He goes on to say, no sign shall be given it to you, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This again points out that it wasn't his physical body laying in a tomb on top of the earth it was his spirit man going to the center of the earth or the heart of the earth. The whale's belly isn't on top of the whale, it's inside the whale. And the heart of the earth is not on top of the earth where he was physically buried. No, it's the heart of the earth where he went to really ultimately purchase our salvation. Because the moment we're born again, our flesh doesn't change, our heart changes. Our spirit is made alive. We can now renew the mind after that. And so the soul is taken care of, but the body will not be taken care of until the rapture of the church comes. And at that point, this mortal will put on immortality. This flesh will put on incorruptible flesh. And that will be, that was, will be buried or pardon me. We will have been sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. But look at this, verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now a greater than Jonah 
is here. Jesus was three days and three nights in the belly or the core of the earth, the very center of it. And that's where hell is located. He went to hell for us. If we go to hell, he had to go there for us. But after three days and three nights, your sin, my sin, all mankind's sin was forgiven and cleansed by the work of Jesus and judged once and for all. So that now when we receive Jesus, it's forgiven in our personal life. So Jesus, like Jonah, was spit out The third day, hell spit him out. He then preached to the Gentiles, the men and women of Nineveh. After the resurrection, Jesus turned to the Gentile nations. He came to his own and his own received him not, and they rejected him. But Jesus even said just before he went to the cross and was arrested and all that, he says, it's going to be taken from you and given to another nation. It's going to be taken from Israel, the power of the gospel, and that's the spreading of the gospel, and given to the to the. uh, to the Gentiles. That occurred on the day of Pentecost. And even their preaching got some, some uh, Israelites saved of the streets of, of Israel in the streets of Jerusalem with all those men that were there, devout Jews out of every nation under heaven. 3,000 of them received Jesus on that day. And the preaching was then turned over to Gentiles after that time. The Gentile church had begun to spread. The Gentiles will have it until the time of the church is over. The rapture takes place and God will take that message again. The word of God He will take the preaching of the gospel and the custodianship of the word of God and give it back to Israel for seven more years. That's Daniel's 70th week. During the tribulation, the Jews will have, again, the gospel given to them. And as soon as the church is over, the first thing that happens is 144,000 Jews, 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes receive Jesus as savior and start to spread the gospel. Again, Jerusalem and Israel become the center of the gospel preached to the entire world. The center of the gospel today is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, made up of every kindred, tribe, tongue, nation, Jew, Gentile, and all of that. Ephesians chapter four, verses eight through 10 says this, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now he who ascended, what does it mean? But that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Parts is plural. It didn't say the grave. That's just one part. He descended to the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is the same also as the one that ascended up far above all heavens that he might complete all things. When Jesus Christ ascended, he went through all the heavens, the sky, outer space to the throne of God. When Jesus descended, he went into all the lower parts of the earth. He went into hell where an unbeliever goes when he dies to Tartarus, where the fallen angels are. They're bound there. This is brought out in the books of Peter, first and second Peter. And also he went to paradise. That's where Old Testament saints went to and opened up the doors. And this is the captive ones he led captive and took into heaven. They went to paradise until Jesus was the first one to go in heaven as a recreated human being. And then they could go to heaven too right after that. Again, he went to the lower parts of the earth, just like he went into and above all heavens. He went into the third heaven, right up to where God the Father is, but when he descended the lower parts of the earth, he went into the lowest part where sinners go when they die. And he did this for us. Romans chapter 10, take a look at verses six and seven. Here again, it tells us Jesus went into hell for us. It says in Romans 10, six and seven, the righteousness which is from faith says this, do not say in your heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. When you get into trouble, 
Don't call on Jesus. Say, Jesus, if you would just get off the throne for just a moment and come and sit down with me here on the bed and answer my questions, it sure would be great. No, it says, don't say that. Don't say, who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down from above? Look at verse seven. Or who shall descend into the deep? The word is abyss. Who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? If you're simply saying, I don't think you did enough for me on the cross, what you're simply saying is, if I've got a sin that you can't cover, then you're gonna have to come down from heaven, go back down into the abyss, come from above, go back into the abyss, make sure you cover that one sin I'm talking about, and then bring Christ up again from the dead. Abyss is translated bottomless pit seven times in the book of Revelation. Fallen angels are mentioned in this verse of scripture also, and they're kept there, and one day Satan himself will be banished there for 1,000 years. At the quickening of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus spoiled or disarmed principalities and powers, demon powers, making a show of them openly and fully triumphing over them. In other words, we come back to it. Jesus went to the uttermost for us. And when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, and then said, he says, into your hands I dismiss my spirit. It was the keeping of the spirit because salvation wasn't over yet. Redemption wasn't over yet. Jesus died for our sins on the cross, but he also went to the place we're supposed to go. And when he was raised from the dead, that guarantees you and I will never, ever go to hell. You and I are going to go to heaven. And when people talk about hell, I have the message that's going to keep them out of that. I believe there's a tribulation coming on on this earth. And I have through my, my preaching, the ability to tell people, you can escape that time. The Bible says you can. And listen, as surely as I'm not gonna go to hell, I'm not gonna go through the tribulation. I'm going to heaven. And so during that time, when I'm taken up into heaven, there'll be a tribulation going on this earth. I'll come back at the closing of it. Jesus Christ will come back. I will never face hell. I will never face the tribulation. Heaven is my home. Heaven is my future. And Jesus promised me, and he promised me through the word of God in the book of Thessalonians that I have not been appointed to wrath. So I'm not gonna face his wrath in the tribulation. I'm not gonna face his wrath of going to hell. I will not go to those places. Revelation chapter one and verse five says this, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the first begotten from the dead. Oh, Jesus was the first one to be born again. I'm probably about the billionth, trillionth or whatever after that, but you know what? I am as surely born again as Jesus was. He's the first begotten from the dead. Jesus became on that day humanity, officially a son of God. As deity, he's always been the son of God. As humanity, you might call him the son of God because he was born of Mary, but I'm telling you this, he became the son of God by, by rebirth on the day when he arose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, guaranteeing me a seat in heaven, seated next to the right hand of the Father. Romans chapter eight and verse 29 says, so his son might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus was the firstborn, Bob stands in line, you stand in line. Again, I don't know what number I am. Maybe when I get to heaven, my number will be given to me. Jesus was number one and we go down the list of those 3000 on the day of Pentecost and, and you know, the upper room, the 120, we go down, down, down through history. I don't know what my number is, but you know what? I'm as surely born again as Jesus was. I will surely not go to hell because Jesus went there for me. I will not die in my sins. Jesus died for that for me. And again, I'll go to heaven because he opened up the door so I can come in with all the saints and I'll get to see all the saints. I'll have a resurrection body just like Jesus Christ himself. After being given new life, Jesus stayed for 40 days on this earth 
and stayed with his disciples. Like Jonah, he turned from the Jews to the Gentiles. When Jonah was spit out, he preached on the shores of Nineveh. First Timothy chapter three and verse 16 says this, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, that's his human spirit was made back alive, seen by angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then received up into glory. Hallelujah for the finished work of Jesus Christ. All I can say is Sunday's gonna be great for you. The day you celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, have a great Easter. You ministers, preach a great ministry sermon that day and teach on what Jesus Christ has done for us and don't you back down at all. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.